0: Hey guys, you're listening to The Furrow, a podcast for Catholic men by Catholic men. On today's show, we reflect on the life of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Hello and welcome again to another episode of The Furrow, a podcast for Catholic men by Catholic men. This is Brandon Duncan, your host, along with my brothers in arms, Cameron Davis and Father Robert McTague. So gentlemen, we're almost at the midway point of Lent. How is the season treating you thus far?
1: Well, we're, 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 putting, uh, we're putting our best efforts into a penitential season. Uh, God has been very good and given me opportunities to show that I really can't rely on myself to do anything good. I suppose it's good to be reminded of that lesson from time to time, and maybe someday I'll even learn that lesson.
0: <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Ditto on that, Cameron. How are things going for you? Uh, things are going okay. I think
2: I picked my hardest pennants ever. Uh, walking to work three days a week gives you a <laughs> lot of time to think and pray. Um, so it's, uh, using that time wisely to do those things. And also in the midst of, you know, walking to work three days a week, I've also decided to move. So I am trying to uproot my entire life all while during Lent. So it's probably a great time, um, <laughs> to, to be journeying to something new. So it's gonna, it's gonna be fun. Wow. That's awesome.
0: Well, you know, and also, uh, my end here, just trying to inculcate the values of, of prayer and penance and fasting in, in small kids as well is, is also quite the challenge. So, but, uh, with the good Lord's grace, he's, um, I think he's, he's definitely working some, um, uh, well, he's working overtime here in the, in the Duncan household. But um, so anyways, but now, you know, now that we're fully immersed in this glorious season of Lent, you know, a time in which as Catholics we're called to be a bit more introspective and really purge ourselves from the many obstacles that prevent us from advancing in our own spiritual lives and from the things that lure us away from the lord you know i thought it was a good it's it's really a good practice i think often for us to reflect on the lives of the saints and their prescriptions for waging battle against the proclivities of this earthly life and so for today's show i'd like for us to reflect a bit on the life of saint ignatius of loyola which i have to admit saint ignatius is my spirit animal i have to say you know kind of a a, a, a hothead <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, um, you know, a, a very stubborn man in, in his own right. And, uh, so I, I find, uh, I find, find great comfort and consolation in, in his own struggles too, but also, uh, great inspiration in his life. And, and so I thought to help us. To do just that, I'd like to really employ the expertise of our own co-host, Father McTague, who, as a member of the Society of Jesus, founded by St. Ignatius, and a spiritual son of St. Ignatius of Loyola, to lead us through this discussion on St. Ignatius and the development of his renowned spiritual exercises. And I think if we, hopefully, if we have some time in the show, which I think we might, uh, I'd like to also ask you, Father, uh, about two elements in particular of the spiritual exercises that are of great interest to those who study and partake in these exercises, namely what St. Ignatius refers to as the examine and the discernment of spirits. But now before we get started, Father, for those listeners out there who may not know much about St. Ignatius of Loyola, can you give us just maybe a brief introduction to his life and what ultimately led to the development of his spiritual exercises?
1: And use both sides of the paper if necessary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to I'm gonna need a bigger boat. Yeah, uh, no kidding. Topic. Yeah, uh, St. Ignatius Loyola was a 16th century giant. He was from the Basque region of Spain, from a relatively minor family, uh, certainly not the oldest son, not designated for property. He was an ambitious man. And he led a very worldly life, and he wanted to be um, a hero. He wanted to be a soldier. He wanted to distinguish himself. He wanted to be a ladies' man. Uh, he wanted to be a player. He wanted to be a swashbuckler. Long story <laughs> short, all that fell apart when he received a horrific injury in the Battle of Lepanto. Ended up with a very long stretch of time trying to recover from his injuries. And he, um, he, this is where he began to see that there was more to life than what meets the eyes. And it came down to this. He was bored out of his mind, and he didn't have the cheap thrillers and the romance novels uh, of his day to read. <laughs> so he had the scriptures, and he had the lives of the saints and the lives of Christ. And here's what he found. When he daydreamed about slaying the dragon, winning the battle, uh, winning the heart of the fair maiden... He enjoyed it in the moment, but afterwards felt unsettled. Mm. And yet when he would read the lives of the saints and the life of Christ and the scriptures, and he thought about distinguishing himself in the service of God, he not only enjoyed it in the moment, but he felt peace afterwards. And he said in that moment, his eyes were opened a little. And he became aware of the movement of what he called diverse spirits, the spirits of consolation, and the spirits of desolation. Now, what he means by spirits isn't necessarily, although it does include angels and demons, but also those habits of mind, patterns of thought, affect, etc., that lead us either towards God with consolation or away from God and desolation. And he found that everyone has patterns patterns that lead you towards the light and patterns that lead you towards the darkness and what a great victory it would be to figure out what are the patterns that lead you to god that are unique to you and what are the patterns of temptation and desolation that are unique to you that lead you away from god Uh, after his conversion he goes away to pray and has a series of illuminations that lead to the spiritual exercises which Jesuits call the, the the Long Retreat. It's 30 days of prayer, committing to praying five hours a day, and it's broken down into what he calls four, four periods or four weeks. The first week is confronting sin in your life. And at the end of that, you have your, I've decided to follow Jesus moment. And so you enter the second week, where you learn to understand the mind and heart and way of proceeding of Christ and you join him as his companion and winning creation back for the father and then you realize oh Uh, salvation is costly and that leads you into the third week which is the the passion and death of our Lord and then finally there is the fourth week meeting the joy of the risen Lord asking for the grace of the Holy Spirit so that you can go out into the world set it on fire and win souls for the greater glory of God and that experience of the spiritual exercises is the hallmark of Jesuit life and if you live that retreat well It's like having lenses imprinted on the eyes of your soul. And you can't help but view everything and everyone through the prism of the exercises. Now, whether or not you live that grace faithfully, that's a whole other topic because we're all sinners. But at least now when I sin, I know where it is that that I'm falling short because I have the standards of, of the exercises. So the exercises is, is a school of prayer. It's a school of self-knowledge. It's a way of learning the wiles and stratagems of the enemy and the graces of God so that you can become free from what takes you away from God and free for striving for the greater glory of God, thereby benefiting your neighbor and uh, saving your own soul.
0: Mm. So, Father, what would you say is the one thing that really attracted you to the Society of Jesus uh, and uh, what what inspiring uh, aspect of the life of St. Ignatius was it that really ultimately uh, made you say, this is it?
1: Well, the promise... ...of religious life is that if you live the charism of the founder, you enjoy the kind of relationship with God that the founder had. And there are many different founders with many different temperaments. So Benedictines see God in the beauty of order and routine. Dominicans Mm. find God in truth. Franciscans find God in poverty and simplicity. Carmelites find God primarily as love... Uh, Ignatius found God in action. God is always at work in the world. And so we are to be contemplatives in action. So, mm. like Carmelites, sometimes we have our big aha moments and hear the still small voice while on the mountaintop. But more often than not, it's in the thick of things. It, it, you have your contemplative moments in the midst of the chaos and of the crisis. Ignatius was a man of his time. He loved chivalry. He loved honor. He talked about distinguishing oneself in the service of Christ the King. Mm. And that swept me off my feet, that I could join a company of men who wanted to distinguish themselves in striving for the greater glory of God, doing the majis, doing the more, doing the extra And also I realized that about 97% of Jesuit saints and blesseds are also martyrs. These were men Mm -hmm. who wanted to give absolutely everything in the service of Christ the King. So the example of Ignatius, the history of our great saints, and then meeting Jesuits in my own time who were happy and effective and fruitful apostles, that all led up to a point where I said, I can't not do this and still be honest.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, it kind of, uh, I think back to, uh, my own, uh, formation, uh, when I was, uh, I was actually also in discernment to the pre uh, for the priesthood, uh, back in college. And, um, you know St Ignatius was was uh was definitely i would say instrumental in in my my period of discernment and especially when I had an opportunity to go to Spain and to uh the homeland there where uh where St Ignatius uh lived and um just uh just learn learning his his story and all those things that you that you mentioned father um it's um you know it makes it makes me wonder especially now as as a husband as a father um you know how um you know, how, how to how to be able to live a life so radical like that? Um, whereas you know how Saint Paul says, you know, uh, be be as I am, right? Because Paul, Paul in essence was was single, so he was able to really devote his life uh, totally to God. His life was total action for God, and I'm alf- often wonder myself, you know, as as a father and a husband, you know, how can I truly be um, a, a man of God always in action? Um, as a as a married man as a husband
1: well, well there of course there there is no doubt that uh, being married being a husband and a father can be an opportunity for for very great sanctity uh, and very often it's not going to involve packing everything up and running off to put out the next fire right that's not what you're you're made for you know, uh, you've got a wife, you've got kids, they, they need to make sure that the rent is going to be paid and that there's going to be food on the table. And when you flick the switch, the light comes on. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the heroism, the generosity, the sacrifice that you guys live as husbands and fathers, as providers, uh, you know, th- that's going to be as mundane sometimes as showing up and going to work. Right, Uh, and then there's also going to be opportunities for uh, unsung dramas. You know all the you know all the boo boos that you kissed, all the tears that you dry, you know all the diapers that you changed, all the Lincoln Logs and Legos you pulled out of the toilet. (laughs) None of that's going to be captured by Hollywood. Uh, None of it is the stuff of great drama. But very often, being a husband and a father, I believe, is the stuff of that white martyrdom. You know, mm-hmm. putting your sacrifice on the altar every day, giving a bit more of yourself, giving a bit more, giving a bit more. And let's not forget, gentlemen, that as married men, this is the standard of love that you agreed to. You stood before the altar of God and said, mm-hmm. I will love this woman so well that when people see how I love her, they're going to say, hey, that must be how Christ loves his church. Mm. Amen. Now. On a, on a good day, that's a tall order. I mean, God's grace for it is is always there. Now, do you have the opportunity to just pick up and go at a moment's notice the way I do? Well, no, right. because you were called to something different. A friend of mine was directing a retreat, and the guy came back from prayer and said, Oh, Father, I see now that God has called me to leave absolutely everything behind and go off as a missionary by myself to the poorest of the poor. My Jesuit friend said, No, he didn't. I- what do you mean? He says, "Well, you're married and you've got minor children, so God is certainly not calling you to leave everything behind." Right. And I mean, you left everything behind when you get married and brought children into the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, no kidding, no kidding.
1: I think it's
2: also important to to your, the point you made earlier, Brandon, is that you know, you know, to living that radical life. You know, in the society we live today, the status quo for men in our in our vocation. Um, is not to do the things that Father McTeague mentioned. You know, so many men get focused on the careers that they forget about the promise they made before God and before right. their wife. They forget about the promise of, you know, raising their kids to be, you know, as best as we possibly can uh, to be young Catholic disciples. And I think is if we truly keep in mind what we're called to, right? Taking heart to what that vocation actually is, similar to what Father McTeague said, you know, it's, you know, living his vocation in action, you know, being an active um, mm. Jesuit to, to fulfill the idea of having that relationship with God that St. nations did. If we do the same thing, if we truly take what it is that we said that we would do and do it, that's radical in and of
0: itself because society doesn't say that you're supposed to do that. Mm. Right. Always swimming against the current, right? Yep. Um, you know, and, and and I have to admit that also, you know, during my my own formative years as a, as a young Catholic, uh, going back to the spiritual exercises here, you know, I, um, you know, I really didn't learn as uh, much in, uh, about it until uh, attending Catholic University. And, you know, I often thought, and I want to get into a little bit of this, um, the, the examine, Father. And I thought I always used to think of the examine as simply just another way of referring to an examination of conscience. But li- little did I know the examine really is much more than that. And uh, which which uh, brings back a a great quote from St. Ignatius himself, who says, "He who goes about to reform the world must begin with himself, or he loses his labor." Um, and I figure, how true is that? So, in light of that, uh, what, can you describe for us what exactly is the examine, Father? You
1: know, it's uh, in the seventies there was a revival of the practice of the examine. And it's spelled E-X-A-M-E-N. And rather than an examination of conscience, which you would do to prepare for confession, this is what some have called an examine of consciousness. Mm. So the rules for discernment, you know, am I in desolation or desolation? Am I working with light or am I working with, with darkness? Those are the ways of interpreting the data. The examine is a way of taking your spiritual vital signs Throughout the day, so you can say well, what's going on with me. Let me give you an example. When uh, my mother had some difficulties with her health, my father retired early to take care of her, and there were times where they were literally within one another's sight twenty-four <laughs> hours a day, which is that's a wow. lot of togetherness even for a married couple. So right. they had one of those days where they were no more than three feet away from each other all day. <laughs> and at dinner, my mother turned to my father and said, "Well, how was your day?" And he said, You tell me. You were there for all of it. But guys, let's be honest. There are times when we we wake up and we say, oh, it's Sunday morning, time to go to Mass. And Mm. we blink and it's next Sunday. And it's Sunday morning and time to go to Mass. We have no idea how we got there. So Mm. we say, how was your day? And you say, I don't know. I was was too busy living it. So Mm. what happens in that case? Well, what happens is that you miss all these invitations and opportunities for grace You miss all these opportunities to count your blessings and you also miss all the opportunities to see oh this is how the enemy has been lying to me deceiving and seducing me all along so wouldn't it be great to have the kind of self-knowledge and knowledge of god and knowledge of the enemy so that you can be free from the lies the addictions the illusions the compulsions and free for god's service if you Mm -hmm. want to sign up for that you want to pay attention to what the examine is about. It's a five-step meditation. It should take no more than 10 or 15 minutes a day. Um, you start off doing it once a day. Ideally, do it twice a day. Eventually, it becomes a program that just runs constantly in the background. And what you want to do is pay attention to what's going around, what's going on around you and then see what's going on within you in response to what's going on around you. And that way you can begin to say, all right, how does God work in me? How does the enemy work in me? And what can I do about both? First thing you, you want to do when you do the examine is do something to remind yourself that this is a special time. Uh, it's, it's quality time with God. It's prayer time. So make the sign of the cross, get on your knees, bless yourself with holy water. but do something special. And the first step is gratitude. Gratitude is essential. Ignatius said that um, gratitude is the virtue that is most pleasing to heaven, and it is the birth mother of all other virtues. So I review my day from the last time I made the exam, and I just count my blessings, I count the mercies, and I let myself be amazed at how good God has been. And in that context of gratitude, knowing that I am provided for, that I am am a loved son, I make a petition, I ask for light. Because this has to be a work beyond human ingenuity and human fruitfulness. So I invite the Holy Spirit to illumine my mind and heart so that I might see the truth about myself, the truth about God, and the truth about the work of the enemy. The third step is a review. What happened? What were the events that took place during the course of the day? And where did I respond? Where were there invitations from grace that I ignored or accepted? Where were there temptations that I ignored or accepted? And we have to be both compassionate and objective. The fourth step is to ask for forgiveness because we've all fallen short. We all receive God's graces imperfectly. We all resist temptations imperfectly. And this is a time to just man up and own it, to acknowledge that I am a loved sinner. And then the last uh, step, step five, is a hopeful resolution for the future. I'd phrase it this way. What grace does God want me to live for the rest of the day to my next examine? And what would my day look like if I cooperated with that grace? So Mm -hmm. I'm I'm using my imagination and my creativity to plan ahead to do the right thing. If you practice that faithfully day in and day out, what you'll discover is, oh, I'm more attentive now to what's going on around me. I'm more attentive to what's going on within me and I'm learning how to cooperate with God's grace. And I'm learning to see through the illusions and lies and temptations and seductions of the enemy. You know, we, you know, we're not quite at the halfway point of Lent, but my suggestion, gentlemen, is that you commit firmly to the examine as a Lenten practice, and it will serve you well for the rest of your life.
2: Mm. Yeah, that whole concept of being aware, I think, is critically important. And I think some of the language that he uses is be aware, seek to be sufficiently within so that what is stirring spiritually in our hearts becomes present to our consciousness. And I think you you hinted at that at the very beginning. I think it's so important for us to just realize where are we? You know, what is going on around us? And I think those steps that you outlined is a fantastic way to kind of prepare ourselves to be ready to hear the movements of the spirit, hear the movements of God in everyday life um, so that we can answer the call. And I think it ultimately becomes the question is, are you in a place? Are you ready to listen? And if you're ready to listen, are you ready to act?
1: Yes.
0: And and I think also another important element there that you expressed at the beginning there, Father, is, is gratitude. Uh, cause so many of us live in this, in this world where we live in this world of just in this transactional existence where we just give and take and give and take. And we don't, and we fail to stop to acknowledge, uh, the things that God has give us, given us the blessings, uh, the joys, and yes, even some of the sorrows and and to see the, the, the grace, even in the suffering, uh, and to be grateful for that. Uh, I know that's one thing I certainly struggle with myself, Um, but, but gratitude itself. And it's funny because I, I was having this exact conversation this morning with a coworker of mine and, uh and uh, you know, a, a quote from my spiritual director in college again, came to me, he says, he used to tell me, you know, Brandon, uh, a God that, that gives everything has the right to ask for everything in return. And, and, and it's just that's that to me is something that has stuck with me and has just rattled my cage multiple times throughout my life. And every time when I go back to the spiritual life and really focusing in, I, I, I have, I always zero back in on trying to cultivate that spirit of gratitude.
1: And, you know, gratitude is ultimately a matter of justice. Yes. You know, in Catholic circles, we love to talk about justice, you know, social <laughs> justice above all, you know. In Paul's third letter to the Corinthians, there was that ringing hymn in honor of of justice. And then at the end he right. says, and the greatest of these is social justice. <laughs> So now we've got we've got every kind of justice imaginable. You know we've got right. environmental justice. We've got reproductive justice. We've got gender justice. Yada 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 yada. No, right. The first dimension of justice, the primary dimension of justice, is what do we owe to God? Mm. And we owe God everything because without Him, we who came from nothing would revert to nothing. Mm. So the first matter of justice is worship. So that's step one. And if I'm cutting corners on worship, then I'm probably going to be a skank in the rest of my relationships as well. Mm. And justice (laughs) is complemented by love. Right. At the end of the exercises, Ignatius says that love is shown more in deeds rather than words, and love is an exchange of gifts between the lover and the beloved. Mm. So when I see that all the orders of nature and grace are arranged by God for my benefit... You know, how can I make a glad return to the Lord? And it's that inspiration. I want to prove my gratitude to God. So, you know, when I counsel uh, folks in spiritual direction or on retreat, for example, I say, look, when you're frustrated, when your anger is boiling over, when you're tempted, when you're discouraged, stop and say, how can I here and now prove to God that I'm grateful? Because there's always a reason to be grateful, and there's always a way to prove it. And if you do that as a matter of habit, you're on your way to sanctity.
0: Mm. Wow. That's a lot lot to ponder here, Father. Um, But I want to kind of move on into um, this, again, the second aspect that I know you kind of brushed upon uh, in your introduction. Uh, but as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, uh, the other aspect of the spiritual exercises, which St. Ignatius calls the discernment of spirits, and I think this really speaks to what we've just been talking about uh, now. And now if memory serves me right, this, this process of discernment uh, really manifested itself, as you said, Father, uh, during a period in which uh, you know he was convalescing from a, a very serious battle wound, right? Um, mm-hmm. And in his autobiography, uh, he, how he writes in the third person, he speaks of this interior struggle. Uh, and I just want to, I just want to read a little, uh, uh, a little passage here. He says, um, He did not consider, nor did he stop to examine this difference, until one day his eyes were partially opened, and he began to wonder at this difference and to reflect upon it. From experience, he knew that some thoughts left him sad, while others made him happy. And little by little, he came to perceive the different spirits that were moving him, one coming from the devil, the other coming from God. And so, Father, it appears what St. Ignatius is describing here is the soul's movement, I think, as you said, as it vacillates between. Consolation and desolation, and really the importance of determining where these movements or influences are coming from and how one ought to act accordingly. Now, is that kind of in a nutshell what that is, or can you expound a little bit more on that, or where, where, where do we go from here with that?
1: Well, the discernment, discernere uh, in Latin means to distinguish things according to, to their qualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when we have movements taking place within us in response to what's taking place around us, we have to ask ourselves where is this coming from and where is it leading us? So Ignatius has two sets of rules for discernment. There, there's uh, discernment 1.0 or rules for discernment for what he calls the first week. And this is for people who are still in the grip of sin and still haven't made their firm commitment to, to Christ. And you've got to say, wow, I, I, I've been believing the lies of the enemy. I've been drinking the Kool-Aid. I really need to stop that. And so once you figure out the wiles of the enemy, once you do your Homer Simpson imitation and carry a little card that reads, always do the opposite of what Bart says, once you get to that level of clarity, the enemy doesn't stop tempting you, he just becomes subtler disguising himself as an angel of light and that's for rules of discernment for for the second week Mm. so that you know you're no longer going to be tempted by something you know grotesque and and vile so what the enemy is going to try to do is get you to do good things that god really isn't asking of you and my spiritual director Mm. told me years ago not every invitation to do a good thing is necessarily a prompting from the holy spirit so, in the first set of rules, it's about distinguishing good from evil. In the in the second, it's looking for the wolf in sheep's clothing. But it's oriented towards freedom, freedom from the dark, freedom for the sake of the light.
0: Hmm. Wow. Goodness. So, Father, if and this, is, I'm kind of uh, playing devil's advocate here, but. If, if, if St. Ignatius were alive today and, you know, he were examining the field of spiritual battle, taking that into consideration, all this spirit the discernment of spirits, you know, what do you think would be his primary diagnosis of the state of modern man? And what do you think would be his prescription?
1: I think he would take a big bucket of cold water and throw it on us and tell us to wake the hell up.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I, I think uh, most That's people That's not so are, subtle. <laughs> no, I think most people are coasting through life in, in a stupor. Mm. Certainly most men in the first world are, are in a stupor. Uh, they still believe in one form or another that whoever dies with the most toys wins. And it's killing us. It's mm. killing us. we got to wake up and we've got to realize that we are called upon to be heroes, even here and now, to distinguish ourselves in the service of Christ the King, giving us a good reason to live and a good reason to die, in a world where so many young men, in particular, can't find a good reason to get out of their parents' basement.
2: Mm. Wow. Yeah, the the men today, it, it it really is quite sad. Like I go to work um, at a very large company that has a very large site here in Jacksonville. I just wonder what are these, what are these men doing with their lives? And do they have any, are they driven? Are they driven by anything? Are they working towards anything? Um, and I think that bucket of cold water, I almost feel like that bucket of cold water wouldn't be enough to wake them up. Like something far more radical has to take place for them to realize the, the error of their ways. I think that the devil, um, in this instance, he's not, He's not playing, pretending to be the angel of light. He is just him as himself. And he's saying, you're too stupid to realize what you're doing. You're too stupid to realize who I actually am at this moment. And you're going to continue living your life in this way. And a bucket of water would just would not be enough mm-hmm. to cleanse the, the cataracts off our
0: eyes. Well, I I, 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 would have to say that, you know, he's probably doing what he does best is is convincing us that he doesn't exist. I think that's probably the biggest, uh, the biggest thing here. Um, but, uh, but I think, I think you're I think what you, what you've said there, father, I think, I think that would certainly under knowing his, his, uh, his temperament, I think he probably would have done that exact thing. Um, but, uh, but, I, and I think this is kind of where we, where we need to, you know, uh, Tie it up here, but I think men, uh, those of you who are listening, um, we uh, we definitely encourage you to uh, to learn more about the life of Saint Ignatius and uh, find find ways to integrate this uh, these uh, aspects of the spiritual exercises into your life, especially the examine. I highly recommend, um, as Father mentioned, Father. Really quick before we um, we uh, exit stage left, are there any resources that you can uh, suggest to any of our listeners out there before we head out?
1: Well, if you want to undertake a serious study of all things Saint Ignatius the writings of Father Timothy Gallagher are uniformly superb. So I start with his book uh, on the examine. That, that would be the first place to go. Uh, I have a weekly column. comes out Wednesday mornings, a-l-e-t-e-i-a.org, aleteia.org. If you go there and type in my name, there's an archive of four going on five years worth of columns. There's a lot of Jesuit spirituality a- embedded in, in there also.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. And as always, I'd like to thank you. Of course, our listeners out there for your support. And of course, uh, my trusty sidekicks, uh, Cameron and Father. And also, if you have any questions or comments for Father Cameron or myself, please be sure to drop us a line at Podcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you all so much for listening and we will see you next time. God bless you all. Take care.